The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A uh, very warm welcome to Squawkbox with Karen Cho, Jeff Cutmore and myself, Steve Sedgwick. And these are your headlines. Credit Suisse reporting a fourth quarter pre-tax loss of 88 million Swiss francs as the bank warns the pace of recovery remains uncertain, but does say that client activity is benefiting wealth management. We're going to hear from the CEO, Thomas Gottstein, later in the show. Airbus revenues plunging almost 30% in 2020 as it posts a 510 million euro loss and withholds a dividend. We're going to speak to the CFO in a first on CNBC interview later today. Facebook blocks news sharing in Australia ahead of a proposed law to force platforms to pay for content. But the country's treasurer comes out swinging. Facebook was wrong. Facebook's actions were unnecessary. They were heavy-handed and they will damage its reputation here in Australia. U.S. retail sales spike as consumers spend their stimulus checks, but the Fed warns the economy is a long way short of where it needs to be. It's a busy day on the corporate earnings front today. Let's delve into the Airbus numbers that have been posted a short time ago. The company restored its business targets uh, this after European, the European playmaker says it generated cash in the fourth quarter. However, the group will not propose a dividend for 2020. Let's get out to Charlotte for more. Charlotte, there's plenty to unpick in this. And clearly, we all know that's a very, very dicey backdrop for anyone operating in the travel sector at the moment with so many restrictions around travel. But this is a company that came into the crisis with a slightly better competitive position because of the problems over at Boeing. What are we seeing in the final quarter? Is there a glimmer of hope at this stage? Well, there is, as you mentioned, there is this positive free cash flow that came in the fourth quarter, something that came through in the third quarter, and they see this trend carrying on. So that's really the positive message here, meaning that they delivered more planes. Uh, they managed to deliver more planes. And looking at the deliveries that they had last year, it was 566 planes that were delivered, and 225 of those were delivered in the fourth quarter. That's a key element here. <clears throat> of course, you know that uh, airlines will pay uh, a certain amount of money when they order the plane, but the big bulk of the money comes when the plane is delivered so of course has an impact on the positive cash flow and we see here it has been positive in the fourth quarter but as you say it's been a very difficult year for Airbus this year a lot of airlines being very cash strapped no traveling and very uncertain futures a lot of airlines deferring some of their um, some of their orders and that's really been the challenge of Airbus this year of having to try trying to defer those orders rather than having cancellations altogether and having these planes uh, just standing there after building them of course paying to build them and having these planes there. So that's the effort that they've been going through this year. But of course, at the end of the year, uh, we had this revenue down 29%, so at 50 billion euros. Uh, we see, so at the end, it was a net loss for the full year of 1.1 billion euros and ended up in a cash position of 4.3 billion euros. They just gave an outlook. They expect to have a similar amount of deliveries for next year. So we'll have a chance to dive into these numbers a little bit later, guys. Thank you very much indeed for that, Charlotte. Well, as Karen said, really busy day. We're going to be speaking to the Airbus CFO, that's Dominique Assam, in a first one interview 
11.30 Central European time. Right, so let's have a look at these credits. By the way, if you're wondering where Jeff is, he's conducting an interview with the CEO of Credit Suisse as we speak. So we're going to bring you that uh, as soon as we're allowed to, a little bit later on in the programming. But any conversation about Credit Suisse perhaps has to be framed in how they're getting on compared with their rivals as well. So what I've just done is I've put up a very quick compare and contrast, Credit Suisse versus UBS. And the move this year so far, again, small time frame, not actually that bad for the two. They're both up around about 11 to 12%, so very comparable. But what is interesting is that on a price-to-book ratio, one of the key measures of the financial sector, um, UBS still trades at a significant premium to Credit Suisse at 0.862 as opposed to Credit Suisse at 0.659. So the question is, is that deserved? Well, let's dig into the numbers uh, straight away. And I'll just give you one of the cautionary lines. They are saying that we would caution that the COVID-19 pandemic pandemic is not yet behind us. And I think we all appreciate that. So it's a very timely comment. Notwithstanding the continued fiscal and monetary stimulus, the pace of recovery remains uncertain. But they are saying they've had a strong start to 2021, led by a substantial year-on-year increase in client activity. Our investment bank is benefiting from an especially strong performance in capital markets issuance activity and from a continued good performance across both fixed income and equity sales and trading. So that's very interesting as well. Um, They've said they've started their buyback for 2021 in January, targeting a total of 1 to 1.5 billion Swissy for the full year. There was another line that I wanted to give to you as well, but I've blooming well gone and lost it as well. But I think the return on equity was not where they want to be. That was the line I wanted to find you. I think it had a six handle, but now I'm uh, I'm going I'm pouring over looking for the figure. But I will hand over. Oh, here we go. The CET1 capital ratio was 12.9%. But again, concerns uh, about the profitability of European banks in an era of negative rates. Karen, you have a comment as well. Yes, Steve, I think you're looking for that uh, ROT level of 6.6% in 2020, you know, well off the double digits, clearly. So it tells you about how much more room there still is to close the gap for these numbers from Credit Suisse. But uh, clearly a beat on some of the expectations, some wildcards there around settlement of issues uh, around mortgage-backed securities, you know, legacy issues that date back to the last financial crisis. But one of the encouraging signs, I think we're, we've all seen evidence of it, just how active in the markets a lot of investors have been from the start of this year. You've had fresh records on uh, stock markets in the United States in particular. Investors have not been sitting idle. It's not just been the retail frenzy with uh, small traders uh, very active in the markets. It's investors across the board. And that is just flashing up in these numbers in terms of client activity, but also from the investment banking side with this capital market issuance. It's been a very strong backdrop for Credit Suisse and clearly making hay at this point. And uh, it's uh, flashing up in these numbers. Absolutely. Um, are we going to move on? We are moving on. Karen, we're going to hold it there because we've got, we've got a guest waiting in the wings. Uh, we will bring you Jeff's interview with Credit Suisse CEO Thomas Goldstein. That's coming up at 800 Central European time. Right, so let's have a look at these numbers out from NN Group as well. I'm absolutely fascinated the insurers as well because, of course, they had a, an ambiguous position going into COVID. And, of course, there's been all kinds of disputes on the, in the States and here in Europe as well about what kind of claims uh, the insurance industry uh, should be on the hook for as well. Let me just give you some numbers out from NN Group, which was reported full year 2020 operating results of 1.9 billion euros. Um, Total new sales, APE, annual premium equivalent, was 507 million euros, down from 
foot down 4.7% from the second half of 2019 on a constant currency basis as well. The value of new business for the full year 2020 was down 257 to 266 million euros. That that is looking backwards and I think with this industry we have to look at the clear the present uh, and the future as well. So let's get to uh, David Neeb in a few moments' time, who is the CEO of NN Group. But in the meantime, I can just show you the shares on the screen, which are currently trading in the last 12 months, as you can see, uh, having recovered a lot of the ground that we lost. They're up 0.84%, but if you look where they are off their lows, they pretty much doubled off those March lows. Karen. Yeah, I just wanted to jump in with what the activists have been doing in the background around this one. Uh, we've had Elliot uh, circling, of course, demanding all sorts of changes, pressuring the management uh, for uh, the way it uh, invests its money to, to change that mandate effectively. wants it to, to look at some of the riskier parts of the market. It's been uh, parked in a lot of very low-yielding government bonds and the agitating coming from the activist investor community to rethink that, also to strip out more costs from the business, sell off non-core businesses. So I think there's been a little bit of reaction from NN to try and address some of those concerns, although not necessarily around the divestment of assets. So I think that's a key point to look at, just whether there are particular parts of the business that are underperforming in these numbers and whether NN Group is now willing to sell any of those assets. Also the pivot. I mean, we've seen a lot of investors go into slightly riskier parts of the market in recent weeks and months. Just what NN has been doing in that type of environment, because you and I both know you don't want to be a buyer in a market when everybody else is also waiting in that direction if you're not getting the right price for some of these assets that can be damaging over the long term yeah i'll, I'll just add my, uh, one more comment and natural disasters human disasters all kinds of disasters are obviously involve large payouts there and then for the insurance industry and, and, and can be devastating not only for peoples and for societies but also uh, for the finances of the insurers and the reinsurers and the like as well. But over time, what happens, it tends to happen over a period following, of course, premiums reflect this uh, more dangerous environment and actually premiums across the board tend to go up as well, not just on natural disaster um, cover but across the board. So you get firmer premiums in the market as well historically, which means that the insurers tend to make back their money over time. I learned this lesson with Hurricane Andrew back in 1992. Uh, but, but the fact of the matter is as well, this time around, is that going to happen with the firming premiums? Because we have such a large amount of money uh, sloshing around in the system because, of course, negative rates. Let's get to David Neeb, who's the CEO of NN Group. We've done enough uh, pontificating. Uh, David, really nice to see you. I, I, I hear that you've had a couple of sound issues coming in, so I hope you can hear me loud and clear now as well. How do you see the industry here and now? Because, of course, it's been for a very tra traumatic event over the last 12 months, like all of us. Yes, of course. Good morning. Uh, well, clearly 2020 was an unprecedented year. And for customers, uh, for internal people, we all had to, to migrate home and, and obviously a lot of uh, unrest in, in society. However, I think if you look in general at the uh, insurance industry and especially at NN, we had a very strong year. Our operating result actually uh, in first or in the second half was uh, was 9% up. And what I think is quite remarkable is that also our sales was up uh, 18% in the uh, in the second half of the year. Uh, and that also shows how resilient our sales force is and that you know not only our salespeople but also customers are getting more and more used to doing uh, business in a uh, in a digital uh, digital way. And well with all the market volatility we were pleased to see that also our solvency two ratio held up very well with 210 percent. So all in all, it was a uh, was a strong year despite all the the I would say unprecedented challenges that we had in uh, in 2020 due to uh, due to COVID. 
David. Dave, David, uh, I know I'm looking at a backward-looking figure and I want to look forward, but the APE figure was down 4.7% from the second half of 2019. I mentioned as well, of course, that in the financial sector, in the banking sector, we have negative rates, which encourages a lot of tourists into all kinds of areas as well. That APE figure, where's it going next? Are you disappointed with it? And is because of the easy money going around, is it hard to increase premiums? Well, we tend to look at uh, more at value new business than, than APE. APE is very much also a, a volume number. Uh, we actually steer the company on what we call value new business, uh, uh, which, of course, it talks about a lot more the, the value that is created by the sales. And that number was up 18% in the second half of, of 2020, very much driven by Europe, which I think is remarkable given the, all the lockdowns that we've seen, but also because of Japan that uh, had traditionally, in a big, after the tax reform, a, a, a low uh, number after the tax reform, but that has really rebounded. So all in all, I'm actually very pleased with the uh, with the sales progress uh, given the uh, the 18% increase. And by the way, not only on insurance because also the bank had a, a record year. We did eight billion of uh, of new mortgages in uh, in 2020, and the asset manager who actually had in the second half of 2020 a 10 billion uh, net inflow of third party business. So all in all, I think for for a year like this, it's a very strong commercial uh, result. David, I was mentioning your activist investor, Elliot, uh, that has been calling for changes. And one of them was around the cost-cutting target, wanting an explicit target to be set. I can see you've extracted another $23 million, uh, from the second half of the year. It feels more piecemeal, the approach at this point. What is the overall target as you're trying to reduce costs in the business? Right. So after the uh, the takeover of Delta Lloyd, we set a target of initially 350 million of cost savings, which we later on increased to to 400 million. And I'm very pleased to see that we achieved the 400 million at the end of uh, of 2020. Uh, so that target is now uh, behind us. It also puts us very much in line in terms of uh, efficiency with our European peers. But we don't stop there. We now have additional targets per segment. So, for example, the non-life company now has an expense target of getting the uh, expense ratio below 10%. But also the life company needs to reduce their cost in line with the runoff of the portfolio, which is around 4% per year every year in, in absolute terms. Or, for example, the bank that has uh, targeted a, a cost-income ratio of 55%. So all the individual segments continue to drive efficiency while at the same time we're also investing, of course, in our customer engagement and, uh, and data analytics. Speaking of investing, uh, there's been a, a dramatic uh, a look at uh, where the investments have gone in recent years. And there was a, a pledge to try and look at moving some of the assets away from low yielding government bonds to other more risky areas of the market, from what Dutch mortgages to equities, corporate debt. How is that transition taking place in this current type of market that we're witnessing? Yes, it was a uh, it was a remarkable year. In the first half of uh, of 2020, uh, we invested a lot in corporate bonds, around 2.7 billion and around 700 million in in public equity. I think we've all seen that since then, markets recovered uh, very quickly. Uh, equity markets, but also spreads came in. So I would say in the second half of the year, the focus has been more on loans, indeed on uh, on Dutch mortgages that continue to be very attractive, and more illiquid investments like, uh, for example, real estate. So all in all, in total, 8.7 billion was moved into more higher yielding assets, mostly reducing our government bond exposure. And we're very pleased so far with the investments, the way they are uh, performing. 
at the same time, we continue to focus on maintaining a very strong balance sheet and in, in a very uh, uh, interest rate resilient way. Really good to get your views today, sir. Thank you very much indeed. A busy day for you. We do appreciate your time. David Neeb, who is the CEO of NN Group. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career. Have lots of careers. Try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you. Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on cnbc.com. So a very interesting looking at household goods space at the moment as well. Very interesting looking at the travails and the battles we've been seeing over at Danone. By and large, the likes of Unilever, Procter & Gamble and Nestle have avoided a lot of those issues uh, that have befallen uh, the likes of Danone as well. And in fact, uh, that is reflected in valuations over at a stock like Nestle. Now, if I told you that Danone trades at 17 times forward on a PE, but Nestle trades at 23 times, that, you would say, is a significant premium. Do they deserve it? Well, let's have a look. Proposed dividend of 2.75 Swiss francs per share for 2020, a decimal higher than the poll for 2.74. They are saying they expect, this is a very important number. Actually, I think this is a very interesting number. They expect increase in organic sales growth towards mid-single-digit rate in 2021. Why do I care about that? Because historically, and I'll tell you this 100 times over the years, you want to get on a mean 4%. That's what they aim for over the years. That's what they have done, whether you're Unilever, Nestle, what have you. So 3% would be underwhelming. 5%, you'd be probably quite happy with that as well. So the fact that they're expecting an increase, expecting, not aiming for, I think that's interesting language as well, in organic growth towards the mid-single-digit rate in 2021. That is broadly reassuring, as indeed is the net profit figure, which is coming at 12.2 billion Swiss as opposed to 11.97, expecting the poll. Uh, their organic sales growth was 3.6% versus 3.5% forecast. And you can see there uh, how small differences in the numbers um, dictate whether they're having uh, a very strong performance. So 3.6%, edging towards 4, edging towards that 5 that they're expecting over a longer period of time. But very interesting. Medium term outlook sustained. As I mentioned, the mid-signal digit figure, continued moderating uh, underlying uh, trading operating profit, margin improvement. That's important as well. You can sell as much as you like, but if your margin is not improving, then, then what's the point almost? Demand for at-home consumption, trusted brands, and production with uh, products with nutritional benefits was strong. Well, I think that's a, a, a product of our times, isn't it, as well? well? I'll give one more. Retail sales posted high single-digit organic growth. Retail sales posting high single-digit organic growth reflecting elevated demand for at-home consumption. I think that's a really fascinating set of numbers. So we will have more on those figures from Nestle later today. We've got Mark Schneider, who's the CEO. He's going to speak to our US colleagues. That's coming up at 1100 CET on Worldwide Exchange. Karen, are the Air France KLM numbers as fascinating? They are incredibly interesting, as you can imagine. We've seen a big plunge in some of the numbers given the travel restrictions, but the cargo numbers are stunning, as you've seen that bounce in freight rates. That has really bolstered uh, one arm of the business, which is uh, good news given that uh, there's still been so much pressure. And you can see it in these numbers. Q4 revenue fell 64.3% to 2.36 billion euros. Uh, that is on uh, a 77.9% traffic decline. So that tells you a story about just how 
dented uh, the overall traffic picture is across Europe. Uh, net loss has ensured as a result of that uh, 1 billion euros in the fourth quarter, 7.08 billion euros for the full year in terms of the loss. Uh, Q4 EBITDA, that was 407 million euros, down one point. 27 billion. Net debt has risen to 4.9 billion euros in 2020. Uh, just a couple lines uh, challenging first quarter amid renewed lockdowns, lower EBITDA than in the fourth quarter, so still warning about the problems in this quarter. It does hold on to 9.8 billion euros in liquidity and undrawn credit lines as at the end of the year. So it is telling us it's got a little bit of leeway here, although the cost cutting is still coming. And this is uh, a tale of woe for those employed in the sector. It expects to cut a further 6,000 full-time equivalent positions in coming years. And that's 6,000 positions. And keep in mind, this is a, a business that has taken government funds from the French and Dutch government. So it is still needing to reduce those jobs in the face, if you can imagine, pressure from the government at this point. I want to get to the cargo revenue. That's risen to 53.9% to 860 million euros in the final quarter. Load factor was up 14.6 points just on a unit revenue level for the cargo division. That was up 111% in the final uh, three months of of the year. So that is absolutely stunning as you take a, a look at uh, what is going in the underbelly of aircraft. But uh, it is not compensating for the fact that planes are not flying and ones that are, are clearly uh, not full at this stage. So uh, the challenges remain in the travel sector. And Steve, it was interesting to see overnight too, we had a number of earnings crossing from the likes of Hilton, Airbnb in the States, and uh, there wasn't much relief at this point. I think we've seen a recovery trade in a lot, a lot of other areas of the stock market and earnings have justified some of that recovery. It's just not have, happening in travel and leisure at this point. Yeah, yeah, I think all of the above, fantastic points as well. I, I would just ask viewers out there who are trying to look for a value opportunity, is this the opportunity at the moment? They seem to be the most highest beta sector out there. Just a couple of other factors why I think this sector deserves a degree of caution. One, obviously, as you pointed out, we just don't know when lockdowns are going to end, when people are going to get back on planes again. But we do know for a fact, because we've heard a lot of people saying they will not be getting on as many planes, just like they're not going to be going in as many offices uh, as they were beforehand. For, for all kinds of reasons as well. Plus the fact, there is the little matter of the fact that the oil price is trading now at highs we haven't seen since last year. Now, what are the big costs for airlines? Well, apart from the planes themselves, staff, which of course you've mentioned there, they're going to be unfortunately cutting more jobs, but also aviation fuel as well. And aviation fuel on the back of $65 Brent will have gone through the roof. Now, I'm not saying there aren't inventory supplies out there, but again, if you're forward buying or forward hedging, your prices are nowhere near as attractive as they've been for over 12 months as well. So just another little headache for the airline industry as the oil price picks up and the ramifications that has as well. So you've got structural change in the people who are going to be using. You've got problems in terms of one of your keyest input costs. And then there's a small matter of the recovery plan for pretty much 100% of companies. And if you'll notice, sustainability comes very high on a list of a lot of those companies. And if they're going to hit some of their net zero targets over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years, then air travel will be diminished aggressively. Anyway, lots of negative factors with that in mind. I'm sure they're just going to rally extraordinarily from here. Well, anyway, uh, let's move on. Now, we have many, many more C-suite top names for you today. Uh, we mentioned Credit Suisse. That's Thomas Gottstein. Jeff's going to be uh, bringing us that interview in around about 38 minutes' time. Jez Staley, always fascinating to hear what the CEO of Barclays has to say. Uh, we've already spoken to David Neeb as well, but we've got the CEO of Magnet from the Russian retailer, the CEO of Atos, the CFO of Airbus, and, of course, the CFO, uh, Harold Wilhelm of Daimler as well. So that's all ahead on CNBC.
In the meantime, ThyssenKrupp has pulled the plug on the prospective sale of its steel unit to UK rival Liberty Steel. Thyssen CFO Klaus Kaysberg uh, said that the two sides were far apart on the division's value. That tends to be the case in the steel industry, doesn't it? Uh, according to Reuters, Liberty's bid assumed the steel unit to have a negative equity value of over 1.5 billion euros. Well, again, that, this is what Thyssen is saying. Uh, this despite a recent uptick in steel prices and improved earnings from the German conglomerate. Thyssen says it is working to ensure its steel business remains viable, which could see it spun off. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.